Welcome to Dear Live, a podcast that seeks to inspire global voices of change, teach you how to live with intention, and expand on the eight dimensions of wellness. I'm your host, Jeanette Schneider. Every week, I'm going to drive conversations from self-development to generational social change, even to financial wellness. I am here to share my stories and reflections alongside therapists, psychologists, coaches, and wellness experts to help you create a healthier you today so we build a healthier world tomorrow. Open up to possibility for yourself, society, and the world. And think of me as the best friend you didn't know you needed with the comfy couch and the brainy stats. Let's get started. Before we introduce our guest for today, I have a gift for you. I created this course, it's a mini course called Money Metrics just for our podcast listeners. And it is all about debt, how to get out of it, use credit constructively, and grow your net worth. Not only do we talk about spending, saving, and everything in between, but I've created the downloads you need to put your money to use, to grow it, to protect it, and make sure that you are set up in the future. Sign up through the link in the show notes. The code is LIVEPOD. Lisa Chastain is a personal finance coach with over 20 years of experience offering independent financial advice to executives, professionals, and business owners. She has been seen on CNBC, NBC News, MSN Money, O, The Oprah Magazine, Fortune, and Entrepreneur Magazine. She's one of Las Vegas Women Magazine's People to Watch in 2018. She's also a best-selling author and the host of the Real Money Radio Show on Voice America. She obtained her BA from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas in 2003 and continued her professional journey at the UNLV Honors College as the Director of Advising before obtaining her Series 65 and launching her career as a financial advisor. For Lisa, business was good, but she still had her own financial struggles. From being at the top of her game in 2011 to burning through $100,000 to start her own business, Lisa had to reinvent herself through financial failure. In 2016, she launched her business as a money coach with a mission to help women fix their finances without a budget so they can live their very best lives. Lisa helps her clients learn how to track without budgets, invest wisely, and make smart money decisions so they can get off their financial roller coaster and attain financial stability. Her areas of expertise include financial counseling, career development, personal development, and relationship management. Lisa works with women of all ages, business owners, and executives. All of her clients have one thing in common, the desire to go after their goals and make smart financial decisions. If you're interested in working with Lisa, visit her website at lisachastain.com. Let's get started. Hi, welcome back to Dear Live. I am your host, Jeanette Schneider, and I'm here today with my friend, Lisa Chastain. Lisa, welcome back. Hi. <laughs> it's been a minute since we've talked, and I'm so glad that you're able to join me today. Yeah, I'm really grateful to be here. I love it. So Lisa was on the original journey with me when we were bootstrapping Dear Live in its first iteration, getting podcasts and content. You have some really great content on the, not only the podcast, but also on the app, on on money, story, and debt, and figuring out the darkness of debt and the light at the end of the tunnel. So tons of great content, but we've like, we haven't really caught up in a while. And I wanted to have you back on because I always love your take and the way that you present yourself and connect, I think, with women when it comes to their relationships with money. So you ready to dig in? Let's get naked. I love it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you you had posted something recently that like, 
and I love it when this happens, when someone like posts something or says something and it just kind of like strikes a chord and you're like, okay, I want to go deeper into that because there's a psychology behind it. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how it's okay to spend money. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard concept for someone who's trying to either figure out how to get out of debt or how to change their, their, the way they look at money because maybe they were spending a little too frivolously and they were making mindless purchases and they got themselves into trouble. And here I come saying, drink your latte, and you're saying, spend your money. And I know that that can confuse some people. So I wanted to kind of ask you, like, back me into the thought behind that post and how you're talking to women about when it's okay for them to spend money, even if they're on a journey where they're paying off debt or getting their emergency savings together? Like what's the, what's the thought behind it? So what I've experienced having been a financial advisor, having being in the money space, I follow a lot of money experts just to see what other people are talking about. And there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of judgment for people when they're wanting to make more, more responsible financial choices. And the, the, the overarching conversation in the financial industry, in my experience, in my professional opinion, is cut back, don't spend, you're a bad person if you do, don't eat out. And we've seen some financial experts get lambasted by millennials, mm-hmm. basically saying, F you, I'm not going to do that. Right. I don't want to do that. And... I agree. I would never do that. That's just not my personality. I'd rather go out and make more money. I'd rather go out and focus on more abundant practices in my life than cut back, cut back, cut back. Just like we were talking about before the podcast is dieting. Mm-hmm. Dieting, dieting doesn't work for that reason too. cut back, cut back, cut back. And then all of a sudden you're starving. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes that happens financially and women, women, we, we spend 85% of the world's wealth, which is a statistic I've shared before in your world. And we are the, we are the primary consumer, consumers on the planet. So what happens when women stop spending? Mm-hmm. The economy they, they, stops. Yeah. <laughs> All the guys are like, what? Where's my thing? Where's right. my thing? And retail stores go out of business. And a, a lot about the world doesn't work when women just stop spending altogether. And I think that I, I'm on a mission to transform the conversation to say, it's not about not spending at all. It's about making conscious choices about your spending, mm-hmm. being in a vision in your life. And ultimately we want to focus on the debt as being the problem, but that's just a symptom of the problem. So let's actually just get real and clear on what the actual problem is. And for different people, the problem's different. Mm-hmm. And the spending is just the symptom. It's the cough, it's the sneeze, it's the sore throat. And I wanna, I wanna get out of the spending conversation to say, let's have clear and conscious conversations about your money altogether. Yeah, and I think that's the hardest thing for people to first wrap their heads around because they're like, I know that I, A, have a problem. I know that I wanna save money. I know that I wanna live an abundant lifestyle but I'm not willing to actually take a look. And we've got tons of content that we've already created together that people can find on money story and kind of getting clear with those things. And I think what's fascinating to me, like I was just talking to someone the other day who is, I have a a, kind of like a guide for people, almost like a workbook of how to kind of like track their network, their net worth spending, all that stuff. And he's like, we can do this and we can do that. And I'm like, why do we have to make it so hard? (laughs) Like we don't need to create all these formulas and all of these things to make your money a chore, the conversation around your money a chore, or or the transparency that it deserves, something that feels onerous, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's almost 
recreating that relationship. And I love how you called it conscious choices um, and being really aware. Like I started specifically with like my American Express. I love the points I got on my American Mm -hmm. Express and I get an alert every time I spend money. But I started actually saying every single time you pull it out of your wallet or you make a purchase online, take a few seconds just to think about what you're doing so that when the bill comes at the end of the month, you're like, how did I spend all of that money? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm like, I don't really need this. I don't really need that. I don't really need these things. I think it's it's kind of fascinating to have someone say like, hey, don't be on the diet and cause the restriction. There's no point being keto. There's no point doing intermittent fasting when it comes to your money. Just be aware of it and be willing to talk about it. And another thing I found is that women don't talk about money very much. And I think that's another problem. Do you find that in your groups? I do. And this is where I believe it stems from. So I have my my own radio show podcast called Real Money to help destigmatize the conversation about money is that women, we want to talk about things that we know about. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to talk about things that we know about. And in the lack of a formal education when it comes to money, we don't want to open up that book because we don't want, it doesn't make sense to us. You and I come, both coming from f- the finance industry, we had to work hard to figure it out. Mm-hmm. The other reason is that if we weren't raised in a family that talked about money, it wasn't modeled to us. So we don't actually have the language coupled by the fact that it, if it feels stressful, or it feels overwhelming, it feels emotional. Mm -hmm. So that when we do open our mouth to talk about it, we get emotional and then we wanna shut it down. Mm -hmm. So it's complex. And that's why I I love your world and my world is that we're just talking about it in, and for me, definitely just talking about it in everyday conversation so that it becomes relatable Mm -hmm. and not a concept. So it's relatable from conceptual to relatable. And one of the things that you said earlier that really also stuck with me was, I would rather just make more money. I would rather. And one of the things I've also noticed is as people start tracking their spending, their assets, and I don't say, hey, just track your spending and create a budget. I actually suggest people to track their net worth. Yep. Because it's almost like a report card to yourself where you can start to see that number pop. And as it does, for some reason, you feel like you have more skin in your future game. And you're more apt to be cautious about your spending spend wisely. But you also are like, if I were to ask for a raise now, or if I were to change industries into something that I really enjoy that maybe pays me a little bit more, if I was going to make my side hustle my full-time thing and really like Annie up and, and do it well, I could make these numbers look different. And all of a sudden, it's a completely different conversation. It's no longer about what's happening to you and how you're responding. It's how you're creating your life. It's the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. The fixed mindset is this is how much I'll make this. I'll never make more than that. And if that's true, then I have to really, you know, power down and get a budget. And I have a topic. Actually, my most listened episode is about broken budgets and how budgets don't really work just like diets. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the, the least helpful thing that you can do if you're trying to create something new for yourself financially. I would say adopt a growth mindset, learn how to grow your money and become excited about your opportunity. Because for women, the there is so much out there. And I don't know if Liv, I'm speaking directly to women because that's my audience. But for, for women in particular, we have so much to earn out there still in the world today and so much to create in the world today. Why not lean into that conversation financially versus cut back, cut back, cut back, cut back, you know? Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, I love that. I actually, the last couple of days of conversations have been like, women are so powerful and so innovative. Like, how do we get them more capital? Like, how do we get them more opportunity to really, two days in a row, someone has said to me, did you know that if a woman looks at a job um, like description and she is not 90% qualified, she won't go after it, but a guy will if he's like, and I'm like, yes, I know. <laughs> like I've known this stuff for a long time, but it seems like women are just like, I am astounded because in a lot of ways we hold ourselves back. Mm. But there's, I think, other women like you you and, and me and these other women that I'm communicating with and talking to about how we find funding for female entrepreneurs. How do we find spaces for them to create innovative you know, products that they hadn't even thought about unless they were challenged to do it. I think that that's a really cool space to play in. And then you're in charge of your own destiny. It's that vision that you talked about, right? You're in charge of your own destiny. And I'll give you a really tangible example, working with business owners throughout the pandemic, the idle money, which is the economic, I forget off the top of my head what it stands for, but it was from COVID. Business owners were able Mm -hmm. to take out this idle loan and I was like, take it <laughs> to my, my business owners, primarily all female business owners, take it. And if, if we're in a conversation that debt is bad, don't take on debt, mm-hmm. never have debt. You can't have debt. You should be ashamed if you're going into debt. How can we ever leverage ourselves forward? Mm-hmm. And business loans is such an opportunity that I, I said, you know, for the idle loan in particular may never come around in the same way. So if yeah. you can take it, take it, and then let's leverage the heck out of it and let's invest. And yes, that means you're going to have to spend it, but it's spending with purpose, it's spending with vision, and it becomes an investment so you can see the return on that. That's the spending conversation I want to be having. Oh, I love that. I, I have this you know, conversation all the time about good debt versus bad debt. People are like, my student loans, my student loans. I'm like, your student loans helped you get an education. Your mortgage helped you get a home. Those are two basic requirements to like live and thrive, right? It's it's the the bad debt, the the bad in air quotes, right? Your credit card debt. Your you can use credit cards as tools. You can turn it around. But I love the idea of of talking about the business debt, of talking about the opportunity you have, like your student loan got you the education to get you to a space in life. You live in a home that is mortgage. Both of these are typically simple interest loans, right? Yeah. And then you've got the opportunity to borrow, especially from the government, <laughs> which I think right? is like, sure, give it to me. I'll take two. And and then invest in yourself, invest in, in working capital, invest in staff. And, and I think, and I wonder if maybe people haven't given themselves the permission Mm-hmm. They have to think that way to think of like okay, well, if I were to be given, or if I were to borrow fifty or a hundred thousand dollars, how could that change my life if I used it well, wisely, yeah. wisely with a plan, with a strategy? It's amazing to think about that. Um, I, I was for, I was fortunate enough to to run some MBA style courses over the last several years, and one of the one of the case studies that we do is looking at. Um, how companies grow strategically and looking at founders of companies mm-hmm. and two of the founders. And I don't remember the companies exactly, but I do remember Elon Musk and his story. And I believe now don't quote me on this, do your own research, but I I'm pretty sure like pretty, pretty sure that Elon Musk took out a $400,000 loan from the government. No, no, 4 million. I mean, it was a lot of money government loan to grow Tesla. Mm-hmm. And we're afraid to take out a $100,000 business loan to grow our business. Yeah. The magnitude of money that's available with the right strategy, the right people, 
women, we can lean into the conversation. But again, I think the one thing that holds us back is that we don't know what we don't know about money and it's scary. Yeah. But if we, we don't know what we don't know. Oh, yes. Because that's, that's a whole, I, I find so many women struggle with the conversation around risk specifically. Mm-hmm. And, and once you actually explain from a statistical perspective, risk across the board, the different types of risk, and a woman understands how the market works, um, they outperform their male counterparts. Yep. By something like 80 basis points. It's, I don't remember the exact figure, but it was the last time I looked it up, it was like a significant amount to be able to look at your husband or your colleague and be like, I make more money than you do on, you know, on the long run, because we have a tendency to look at risk and at, and, and, and the future from a, like, long-term perspective. How are we growing our communities? How are we growing our businesses? How are we growing our families? Where men tend to do it based on quarter and shareholder value, right? So they're thinking of kind of like, how can I get at this? And it's not wrong or right. It's just, we're built differently. We're built differently. And I do believe that women, because typically we like to know what we're doing before we do it, men can sometimes jump out and be more emotional in their decisions. Women, we're winning the game in education. Mm-hmm. We, we hold the share of all degrees, the majority share of all degrees, associates, bachelors, masters, and doctorate degrees. So we're, we figured out the education game when we can attach that to a money game, we're unstoppable because mm-hmm. we know more too. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're critical, you know, we're, we're critical thinkers, not good, not bad, not qualifying is that is just saying, Hey, here's your green light for women mm-hmm. in America to in, specifically in America, but all over the world for us to take the lead and, yeah. and to run with it. And we're, and I believe we're not talking about money enough because it's stigmatized for women and we feel ashamed of our choices and all those things that, you know, we could get into a conversation about control and dynamics of the masculine and feminine, which I won't today, but you kind of, you can see the complexity of it. Well, I remember there was a study done that was stating that if you look across the board at American media and magazine articles that have to do with finance, the ones that are written towards men talk about investing and the ones that are slanted towards women talk about how we need to be better savers and less and more mindful of our spending. Yeah. So it's almost like we've been kind of socialized. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate. And I've noticed even when in conversations, when I'm talking to women about investing, it's let's understand risk before you tell me what your risk tolerance is before you tell me that you're afraid. Let me explain what all of the parameters are that you have to think. And usually after that, they're like, okay, I can get on board with this. I understand investing to a mean. I understand long-term. I understand dollar cost averaging. Once you explain these concepts that have been proven over the course of time, it's a completely different conversation. And I also noticed that there is a need for almost like a glossary. Like I have a, like a Wall Street glossary that I've shared with some of the people that I help with investing because the language, like they don't know the difference between an exchange or um, they don't know the difference between the Dow and the S&P. Mm-hmm. And, and just going through all of these conversations, all of a sudden you're like, that makes sense. This is why you need asset allocation. So it's just a matter. I say just a matter. I mean, I think it's there's education that's required, but there is kind of that social fabric that we have to unwind to some yep. extent. And that's the mission that I'm, that I'm on is to create, is to embed the human element into money. 
where women have a safe place to come and talk and raise their hand and say, I don't know this and it's okay. And then we're going to establish the foundation and get them into a new healthy relationship with their money and elevate from there. And that's the word that I use is it's all about elevation. Let's just make sure wherever you're at, you start where you're at and that we continue to elevate and that you have a place to be vulnerable. Yeah. And I, and I just, I had a guest on my podcast, Jasmine, who went into, she's a biracial woman who started out on wall street right out of college and how she felt so isolated and, and no offense, but it's like a lot of white dudes in the finance industry. Oh, I knew most of them. <laughs> and I'm married to a white dude and that's cool. But if, that's what's role modeled. And then men can be competitive in language and be competitive in their way of being. And then a woman tries to lean into the conversation and then we're made to feel wrong or that we don't know enough. And then we're just going to backpedal. So these, these conversations are the ones that I'm really jazzed about because we open up the door for other women too. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. Do you find that when most women come to you, do they even have an inkling of an idea as to what's possible for them? Like, do you find that there's ever kind of like an, oh my God moment where, especially if you kind of open the idea or the door to wealth creation or business creation, Mm -hmm. what have been some of your, your like best examples? It's in their heart. I will say that, that there are these bubblings that come out in conversation and typically in tears. Mm-hmm. that there are desires, that there are passions, that there are hurts, that there are ways that they want to make a difference on the planet. And they feel like such a failure or that they're behind or that they don't know what how to match money to that. And they're just in pain because of that. Yeah. So one of my success stories is a client. She's been on my podcast, DC, who grew up in a tumultuous living environment, three sisters, no, no brothers, no, actually they do have one brother. Sorry. Um, but you know, didn't the mom, mom did the best that she could do. Didn't know a lot about money growing up, went, went to college, went back to school after raising her three kids, got her PhD, took out student loans to do that. And in 2016, she was a sole proprietor as a therapist making maybe right or like in between 80 and a hundred thousand dollars, I think. Mm-hmm. So by, by, just having starting the conversation saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at your money. That is where we're going to start. And we're going to show up every week together. And we're just going to look at your money and you're not going to be made wrong. You're not going to be made to feel ashamed, but over time, I promise you, you'll start to understand your money and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, that was in 20, that was in 2017. I believe that she and I started working together to today. She's running close to a million dollar business. That's awesome. And her house, her household, you know, she's put all three kids through college. Her, you know, her husband just retired and she sees money so differently now because she was willing to just start looking at it. And we never, ever said, stop spending. Now we're looking at, okay, let's make sure we're consciously spending mm-hmm. now that you're aware of what you have and what you want. But, um, that that's the, that's the conversation that really gets me jazzed. And we're seeing more and more women come through our world in that way to say, Hey, let's just look at it. Yeah. No, I love that. I love opening up the, the realm of possibility. And I think once you give someone education and support, they feel more empowered. And sometimes I hate that word and sometimes I love it, but empowered, emboldened maybe mm-hmm. to, to kind of lean into that dream that's been on their heart or that thing that they thought 
that they would do one day but didn't know how they were going to get there. Mm-hmm. And just to have someone across the table say, I, we can do this. You can do yeah. this. You know, like it's just you need that other person that sees that world and can offer you that perspective. Yeah, and I, 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 what I like about your community and my community is giving, giving people a safe place to land because mm-hmm. you know what? We're going to screw up. No, for sure. We're going to make mistakes. You and I have had those conversations before. So let's land. Let's, let's, you know, get you cleaned up and let's get you back out there. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) What do you think, um, as far as money habits, um, do you have any like fail safe advice that you share with people? I know we talk about a lot of it is, is just the emotional aspects, but like if you were to say like, Hey, start paying attention to these money habits today, What'd be like two or three that you would recommend? Avoiding is a big problem and a big challenge. And if you notice yourself avoiding, that becomes a habit. So you're not looking at your money. Mm-hmm. That is one of the most detrimental things that you can be doing is that you're sometimes, can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah. You're bullshitting <laughs> yourself. <laughs> so if, is, if you've adopted the money habit of not looking at your money and avoiding it, you are bullshitting yourself. How can you ever have a clear pathway? The other money habit is hiding. People hide things. They don't tell the truth. Like hiding stuff from your husband where like you, I used to like hide shoes in my gym bag and sneak them in. And then the woman that I bought the shoes from, from Nordstrom sent me a thank you note to the house. I was like, (laughs) you're killing me. What are you doing? He, he actually came home one day and the thank you note was on the counter with the boxes I'd hidden behind it. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I got caught. Yeah. Another money habit that, um, you know, different money personalities, everybody's going to be a little different, but one money habit that hurts is that you charge on your credit card, but you keep the cash in your bank account and it creates a false sense of reality. So you've got all this money in your bank account and then you've got all this debt, but for some particular money personalities, they don't like parting with their money. They'd rather charge it to a credit card and accumulate the interest than part with it. So we have to shake that up so that there's clarity on what's really helping you there. Yeah. Um, and that creates shame and, and denial. So that, those are unhealthy money habits. I think to set a new, you know, new path forward, especially with spending, I love the idea of spending accounts. So cash really, cash is really kind of a, an outgoing thing. People are using apps more to spend money. Mm-hmm. So however you can set yourself up to be able to spend money, that, it, you know, having different spending accounts, different ways to spend money gives you clarity and confers you power. So if you're, if you're banking out of your account, you're paying your bills, but you have a spending account, it's actually giving you permission to spend. You're like, hey, this money's been earmarked to spend. Have mm-hmm. fun with it. Mm. Having a travel account, that kind of thing, I think is a really healthy money habit because it, it rewires your relationship with spending. Yeah, I have a tendency. So I put everything on my credit card, but I already know that I have the money set aside for those expenses because I love the perks of mm-hmm. like I use Amex Platinum for everything because I like the concierge travel. I like all of this stuff. Um, but I also make sure I have that earmarked because I refuse to pay interest. (laughs) Like that's, and I think that's my background, right? When people are talking about paying down debt and they talk about snowball versus avalanche, I'm always like no highest interest rate first, but there's some people who just want to see a credit card paid off. 
Um, so it's just, it's a foreign idea to me to like have like high interest rate just sitting out there when you've got cash that you can use to pay it off. Just because I know that, you know, with time value of money, you're, you're losing out. It's, it's a negative compound against you um, over the course of time. I, what do you say to people who are um, trying to decide if they should pay off their student loans. I know what my thoughts are, but I'm curious about your perspective because I hear a lot of people say, I just want to pay off my student loans, but it's this big number. What do you say? I'm not a fan of debt dumping, period. I have a blog about it. I talk about it with my communities is that any mindset around debt dumping, I think can be unhealthy and detrimental. I get that. I get that you want to be out of debt. So just talking to that one person who's like got this itch and this craving to want to go ahead and pay off their student loan debt. First, if you're an income-based repayment, you have to make sure that you're not getting raked in interest. So income-based repayment, you're never going to get it paid off. If that's the one priority you have to get out of student loan debt, then put a plan together. And also, I truly believe you can only do something for a year aggressively. Mm-hmm. And your bandwidth is gone. So if it's a year, I'm going to, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to get serious. I'm going to get it paid off. You can do it for about a year. And then something psychologically happens where you snap. <laughs> so like, I need to eat. <laughs> right? I want to I go on a vacation. Uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. So if you're going to set up a plan like that, just know that there's going to be a breaking point where you're not going to want to do it anymore. So you have to set up real ex- realistic expectations for yourself. I'm all for getting out of debt as long as you can live a healthy, balanced life along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, student loan debt, you didn't get into overnight. So, and in any debt, it's not realistic to think that you're going to get out of it overnight. So I don't think that that's very realistic. Yeah. Um, And I know it goes without saying, and I preach this myself, if you have the opportunity to take advantage of tax advantage or 401k matching, you do that immediately, if not sooner, um, because that's free money. But tell me what your thought is on emergency savings. Six months? Emergency savings. I Well, okay, so we just, I have to framework it. Who are we talking about? Mm. Okay. Because with my community, to think about doing, having anything set aside for six months could be very overwhelming and self-sabotaging. Got it. So the first goal would be, my first goal is let's get you one month ahead on income and revenue so that when, when you see on the, that says today is August 31st that we're doing this, but, um, and you see that you have, you're ready to go for the next month already in cash flow. That's very, feels good. That's mm-hmm. like a kind of an emergency reserve that you build up first is that you're rolling over cash to be ready for the next month. That, that is a goal that we can set you up for success. And then from there, slowly build your mm-hmm. emergency reserve. Um, and here's an interesting thought. We saw the absolute worst thing in our generation, in my, in my lifetime. I don't know if we'll see anything worse than COVID. And having an emergency reserve, I know, fingers crossed, having emergency reserve helped for a few months. And there were and still then, lots yeah. of ways that people were finding, figuring it out and getting help. Yeah. And, um, and so I say three months minimum, anywhere over six to nine months, let's figure out how we can get that money working for you in some ways and maybe reinvest that money. So I say three months max for most people. Um, and then beyond that, that's going to be a personal choice. Um, one thing that I do see a lot is a lot of toxic financial advice out there in the world. And I think of it as toxic, not in the, I just think it's kind of like 
someone believes it works for them. And so they kind of are like, everyone should do this. And I, I don't agree. And I have a lot of people who come to me because they know my background and they're like, I was just, you know, on TikTok and they said that I should get a variable life and you would, I, I need a, I need this, I need to, and I'm going to need, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. They sell that first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you're aware of who you're listening to. Um, and you can't, be an angel yet you're not at a place the angel that's telling you how to be an angel they have a very specific path um and and like like let's back all this down and one of the things that i think is fascinating in that i agree to some extent but i think that it puts a lot of pressure on women is that everyone needs seven streams of income mm. have you heard that mm. <laughs> i don't know if i've heard that okay I, so there's there's this there's this whole thing, and I keep seeing it reshared and reshared and reshared. That like in order to be fully truly successful and arrive and whatever it is that you're supposed to be, I don't know if it's a millionaire specifically, but that for you to really kind of make it in life, you need seven streams of income. And one of them that they were saying was the income off of your investment portfolio instead of reinvesting it into your portfolio, taking it. And I was like, no, <laughs> like. Like, unless you need it in that moment, um, okay. And even if you're in dire straits, I'll be like, you can turn off your 401k match for a couple of months if you're really struggling. Like, I've known some people to go through divorce and they need to pay for certain things. I'm like, 100%. Stop paying into your kids 529. Stop your 401k match. Stop this for max three to six months mm -hmm. just to, to get a little bit of cash. Nice. Yeah, just, you know, get the ship stable. But I, I was like, I worry that there are a lot of people with really good marketing backgrounds who have become financial influencers who don't really have the teeth for it. Agreed. That's my biggest concern also. So we have a, a mentorship where I'm bringing in experts. And when we ask questions about what do I do about this? What do I do about that? The very first question that comes out of everyone's mouth is, it depends. Mm -hmm. And as a financial advisor also, you and I yeah. were trained. It depends on your individual situation. It depends on your risk tolerance. It depends on your lifestyle. It depends on your needs. It depends on what you've saved. There's so many variables. My concern also is that, especially on Instagram, we have a lot of influencers out there with no formal financial um, training. Yeah. And, and when I do research and look at their websites, they have those disclaimers on their websites and they're running programs and they're giving advice. And um, I always always say to my my listeners and my community is make sure you're working with someone who understands how to help you and your individual situation that blanket advice is very scary for me and you know giving advice about what products to go into without someone really understanding what their personal what yeah. their personal strategy is is it could be very damaging yeah no it it drives me a little bit crazy it's the same so during like 2008 and 2009 and when i was sitting in my office watching cnbc and the world was falling apart and everything yeah. was red and kramer was on screaming and my clients would call me and i'd hear kramer on in the background yeah and i'd be like if we turn off the tv you know like or we're gonna watch it together so we can walk through this right like be conscientious about what you're watching and what you're consuming because a lot of times um it's either 
and one of the, the portfolio managers I know, is he's like, well, they've got to fill a new cycle, right? For the influencers, they have to fill their own need. Like a lot of them are, they want to be content creators or they've got a program that they want to put you through. So you have to be kind of aware of where you're getting financial advice from. Um, but that was one that just like drove me absolutely nuts. I wanted to like, I, I did on one, she was talking about how socially responsible investing was a sham and she started talking about all this stuff. And I'm like, you're talking about corporate social responsibility. You totally have it wrong. Like, you're talking about the wrong thing. And I tried to send a message and be like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, I live in this world and you're talking about this in the context of X. You could tell investors never to look at SRI, socially responsible investing, mm -hmm. but you're, you're talking about corporate social responsibility. And they never responded. So I just learned that sometimes I just have to be a cute troll and... <laughs> <laughs> and I don't troll. I never troll. I only ever, I'm more of a lurker. I only ever like say anything when I'm like, hey, heads up. Like that's yeah. not really accurate information. I just wanted to share. And yeah, I didn't get blocked or anything. So that's good. Well, that's good. Um, can we go back to the passive income streams? Or sure. The seven different income streams. Here's what happens also is you hear someone say that you have to do something. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't know how to do that, or it doesn't seem tangible or because you have limiting beliefs, you're getting, you, you don't even believe that that's possible for yourself, then you're making yourself wrong mm -hmm. and you're making yourself ashamed that you, that you don't have the five revenue streams or you don't know what multifamily investing is. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're in the shame game and you're beating yourself up and that's damaging just as much. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I think some of the things I've seen is like every millionaire does this. And if you don't do, and I'm like, <laughs> same, same issue I have with like, you have to do this morning routine in order to have, no, you don't like, let's, let's pull back on here are the musts. Right. And realize that we're all very complex, special, whole and lovely creatures. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, because I know you and I both get questions about this a lot, and I'm getting kind of more involved in the Web3 space. Like, what are your thoughts on where we're heading with crypto, blockchain, Web3, and money? My personal opinion is that we're in the midst of a revolution. And that just like with the you know in information age and with the steel days and new, new technologies are being introduced to us, mm -hmm and they, they are volatile and not yet stable. And what I'm telling my clients is just start educating yourselves because what I believe is that we are going to have a revolution. Don't exactly know how this is all going to unfold, but if you're not educating yourselves now and you're not watching it now, there are some great opportunities right now. And I do believe that cryptocurrency and exchanges in crypto are going to be the future of our money. Maybe not entirely, Mm -hmm. But I do see that we're trending in that direction. So be aware is my yeah. biggest my biggest thought. And what I'm 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 now educating. I'm not encouraging that people, especially with my clients, they don't have a hundred dollars to invest right now in anything anyway. Typically mm -hmm. they're just they're learning how to save. But know your know your risk tolerance, of course, and know what these things are. Pay attention to NFTs. Mm -hmm. Don't let it be don't let yourself get locked out of this altogether because it's taking off whether we like it or not. Yeah. I have just gotten involved. So my company's in the UNLV incubator and part of the thing that we're working on has to do with 
the Web3 space and coming from the background that I do, I have a really hard time with crypto because I'm so used to being regulated. So I really struggle with how some of this is going to work. And I know that there's all of these lovely technologists who are like, okay, so it works this way. And I'm like, that's great, but I know this industry so well that I know that they're not gonna give up that easily. And I know that it's very hard in certain situations to move away from regulation and technology as swiftly and as fastly as, as fast as you would like, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's kind of the same thing. Um, I was talking to my developer, and I'm like, you know, tell me what you think about what you see. And he's like, invest in the technology. Like IBM is spending like two billion dollars to invest in blockchain technology. Invest in the technology and the chips. Mm-hmm. That way you have exposure to it. And I was like, that's actually a really good idea. And don't worry yet about buying it because it's not, it's, it's so volatile that it's truly, you're making kind of a, it's, Speculation. A, it's a speculative gamble. Yeah. And I thought that that was really wise advice. So it's, it's the, the self-education. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm like, educate yourself, know what you're talking about. Um, but the, the folks that I've worked with, I, I do every now and then have clients that are old clients who are like, help me with my stuff. And I've always said like, we are looking long-term mm-hmm. and if you want to play and have some money on the side for things that are speculative, 100% go for it. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But <laughs> yes, when we're talking retirement and we're talking your future self on an island with a daiquiri, that's a completely different strategy. Yeah. Um, and you got to know the difference. When you have people on your team, that's the other thing, right? When you have the right people on your team who are actively in these conversations and watching the markets, it's their job to make sure that your whole portfolio, mm-hmm. it, you know, that you're, you're well-rounded in your approach and that they're looking at, and you're looking at those things together mm-hmm. rather than you trying to make these decisions alone. I think that for women, we were, we were born to be in community. We were born to do work together. And when we feel like we have people on our team who are there for our best interests, then we're not going to miss out and we can make decisions for the good of all and yeah. for the longevity of our lives and not miss out on these opportunities. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I love it. And I, I love talking to you. I always have, I've always enjoyed having you on the podcast and the app, and I'm sure there will be other opportunities for us to do that. And I wanted to, for anyone who loves what you're talking about, wants to find you, wants to follow you, wants to know about your courses and is ready to get their shit together, which is legitimately <laughs> the name of her first book <laughs> with yep. the S has like the dollar sign through it. Um, where can they find you? Uh, we just launched a new website, lisachastain.com. It's interactive. You can send us messages and let us know where, to, you know, if you need help with where to start, we would love to work with you there. And you can also follow me on Instagram, which is at Savvy Money with Lisa. I love it. Well, I appreciate you being here. And to all of you that are listening, please don't forget to download Dear Live on the Apple App Store and to follow us on Instagram at dearlive.app. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you, Jeanette.